Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I am James Cohn. <laughs> I'm Hannah Rassinen. Are you laughing because everyone's picking cat hair off the microphones? Each each person, one after another, I looked and they were picking off hairs. It looks like monkeys like picking ticks off each other, but it's all cat hair off the mic. There's something like you know how people love like extracting pimples and stuff. Yeah, yeah. this is that for me. Right. I thought to just like blow on it really hard, and then I realized that'd be terrible terrible for the recording. Real bad for the audio. Welcome to the Dr. Pimple Popper podcast, oh, where yeah. we describe horrible pimples to you. You know, we discuss like rebranding occasionally. This is the hardest <laughs> swerve we've ever taken. We're approaching episode 200 right now. I think mm-hmm. this is like 195. Wow. Uh, and I think, yeah, we need to come up with something else. <laughs> 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 Movies are not cutting yeah. it in this like fast paced environment. Uh, our new light at the end of the tunnel. Have y'all been watching movies or just pimple popping videos since the last time we talked? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been watching a ton of movies, to be honest. I had this goal at the beginning of the year to like watch a movie a day, and I kind of fell behind on that. So now I'm just like, I'm Tubi is so great for that. Just like, give me some trash, like, because I can watch like two or three in a day. So I think I'm almost caught up. Doesn't Tubi like once one movie ends, yes. it automatically plays something else in the same like it does. wheelhouse. So like you just watch one shitty rom com and then it'll just spit out another one. So no, I've been I've been watching a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, I guess the two things of note that stand out to me are first of all, I think I like Matthew Perry. That's been a mm. discovery of the hit television show Friends. Of Friends, yeah. <laughs> I watched Fools Rushed In last night with him and Selma Hayek and I was expecting it to be awful. And it was like a very wonderful, uh, sweet rom-com of this kind of clash of cultures. And then I watched another like made for TV movie he did about this teacher that goes to the inner city and it's very like lifetimey. Yeah. The white teacher that goes to Harlem and, gets involved in his kids lives and makes a difference and again you're thinking it's going to be like really awful and it was like very affecting and sweet and kind of a powerful movie about teachers so i'm just like i don't know i need more matthew perry recommendations if anyone has them because uh the two i've seen recently are very good That'd be a great episode, like us discovering Matthew Perry beyond friends. I got to say, if we're looking for a rebrand, like all anybody actually watches is TikTok videos and then reruns of The Office and Friends on like streaming services. So like you're nailing it right now. Really? Okay, (laughs) good. Become a Matthew Perry cast. Like I feel like we would get a lot more visibility out there. Perry pod. Perry pod, yeah. (laughs) I think, didn't he have like a autobiography that came out recently that got a lot of bad press because he just seems like an awful person i think he's one of the least loved friends uh he as is. Time has gone on because he did that like 90s gen x sarcasm a little too hard yeah and uh this is a very earnest era so like it has not been looked back upon finally didn't i don't he have know a problem with alcohol or something it was, yeah i think like, it was pretty bad rehab? oh yeah it was pretty yeah what does he bring into these movies that you're like latching on to it's so bizarre i can't I can't like put my finger on it. It's, it's like I magic. shouldn't. It's some magic. Like I shouldn't <laughs> like it. And maybe it's the same. I didn't watch a lot of Friends, but maybe it's the same charisma he brought to Friends. Yeah. But I'm just like when him and Selma Hayek are like 
making out passionately and fools rush. And I'm like, damn, yeah, this is hot. So I didn't watch <laughs> that movie, but I did pop in and out. And there, he has like two types of charisma. And one is his like, he's, he just comes across as very likable and like maybe a teeny bit hapless, but just very excited to be with Selma Hayek, especially in that movie. And then I agree that they had great like sexual chemistry for some reason. <laughs> and that, think. that I feel like that makes him even hotter. He's like the guy next door, but then when he turns it on, he turns it on. And then you're like, oh, so you got you got layers and, th and that movie fools rush in is very funny to me because the whole premise is they have a one night stand and she gets pregnant and they decide you know what we're just gonna go for it screw what everyone else says your family and my friends like we're just gonna do the married thing we're gonna raise this baby like it's some subversive act and it's like well it's selma hayek i mean it's pretty easy to be like, yeah, I'm just going to go with this random one night stand when it's like one of the most beautiful women right. Right. on oh, the, the planet. Heck? You know, <laughs> like, let's give this crazy thing a chance. Right. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, that's Selma Hayek, dude. Maybe you're nostalgic for a time where there was like a straight white everyman who could like star in movies like this without actually doing anything. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just there as a prop. I, I, I don't know. I just <laughs> I need to watch. It makes more. it sound more reactionary than I meant it. But like, you know. No, there, I mean, there it was like a, a time art form. where like he would even, it just blows my mind that he would even be seen as like a leading man. Right, exactly. He's just a guy. He's just a guy, <laughs> but he does do something kind of special that is hard to articulate. Yeah. But um, the movie that probably frustrated me the most of anything I've watched in recent memory was I watched uh, Hodorowsky's Dune. The documentary? The documentary about... You know, Hodorowsky did like El Topo and Holy Mountain and Santa Sangre, like some of the trippiest, weirdest pictures from like cult classics from that time period. And he was in talks to do a version of Dune and he got all these great, he got Salvador Dali involved. Uh, he got H.R. Geiger. Mick Jagger was supposed to be in the picture. Like he got all these famous people on board and they storyboarded the entire film out which it's this like big comic book essentially and the movie would have been 10 hours long and they went to the hollywood execs and hollywood told them like there's no way we're giving you 20 million dollars to make you know this crazy movie but what i found really really frustrating about it is i am currently reading uh william freakin's memoir that brandon loan me the freaking connection the freaking connection terrible title yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> but the book is good yeah it is good but i just kept thinking about his attitude towards filmmaking is very like much like you know i'm lucky some of my films have worked some of them have not every film is like kind of a struggle it's very this like workman uh journeyman kind of vibe and in hodorowsky's dune hodorowsky is so up his own ass and like talking about how he needed the people he needs to work with. He needs to like be spiritual warriors with them. And we're going to actually like change the minds of an entire generation of people. And it's this very like high concept of what a director and what film can do. And just that with like the William freaking stuff in the back of my head, I'm like you're so full of shit, dude. And of course, you're like 10 hour 
Dune didn't get made because nobody would have went to go see it. So I don't know, just that stark contrast between the Friedkin idea of what a director is and a guy who thinks that like directors are spiritual warriors was very, uh, very frustrating to me. I do think we have to put on our, our tour theory hats today based yeah. on like, the topic that we're doing. Cause we're talking about a director, you know, whose vision seeps into the work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our main topic is Brett Leonard, which is a name you might not know, but he very much was that Friedkin style workman director who like just took on projects and, inserted his own personality into them yeah. um, kind of consciously. And I think the way we think of auteurs now is more in that Hodorowski and who eventually directed Dune instead of him, David Lynch style, where like each film has to be this grand work of art. But that's not what auteur theory was originally. It was like these directors are working for hire for Hollywood. They work for a studio. But if you watch all of their films, you can see their personality come through, even though they have hundreds of collaborators and like yeah. they're not really choosing the projects they get assigned to. I feel like Friedkin falls more into the traditional auteur theory template where it's like you watch individual films from him and you're like, I don't see how this fits into your overall view on art. But if you watch all of them in a row, you're like, oh, there are maybe the way he frames violence or the like sort of realism and like the attention to detail for like how crime is achieved on like a structural level or something like you can see, or I mean, over time the car chases became a big calling card for him. Yeah. You can see the autourism shining through, even as he just took on jobs for money where like Hodorowski is like every work I put out is like my next painting unveiled in a gallery and it needs to fit in this larger, (laughs) you know, like body of work. And there is something to admire about that but it's also like the reason he's only made a handful of films right and freaking just kind of turns them out i don't know i guess i respect both but like hearing hodorowski like take claim (laughs) for like alien wouldn't have existed without him and star wars by the alien one because the collaborator hr geiger and yeah uh, i forget the screenwriter's name yeah they met during the you know I kind of get that, but the end of the film is very much like all these films owe me a credit. (laughs) And uh, I don't know there again, there is a reason he's only made a few films. Yeah. And you know, him talking about like people say films are a commercial enterprise. Like I rip up money. I don't care about money. I (laughs) wipe my ass. And like in Freakin's book, he's like, no film, they got to make money. Yeah. It's art and commerce. (laughs) it, It is. Yeah. So one is just a much more realistic view of what film is. And the other was like, his head is in the clouds, madman. So I don't know. I, it was interesting having read some of that book and watching that, that documentary. I mean, we definitely need cloud heads, you know? We need yeah. cloud heads, yeah. <laughs> hearing the things he said was just very funny to me. I don't know. It's, it's very pleasurable. And you need to have that kind of outsized ego to yeah. direct a movie in the first place. Right. To feel like your vision is more important than the hundreds of people you're collaborating with. Yeah. To make a movie work on that scale. Yeah. And I like, I think we need the balance of like, okay, this has to be a product. And like, I want to create a work of art that is kind of outside the economic structure, you know? I mean, it does seem like you got a bunch of very talented people and they went to Paris and got really high and then didn't, nothing really came of it. But <laughs> like some great visual artwork about yeah. what could have been. You yeah, know? they like went to the studios and they're like, "What? 
we're not going to produce it. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I do kind of miss a little bit the freaking style of like letting someone make dozens of movies and like the ones that rise to the top are the ones worth discussing over time. And like, we don't talk about deal of the century, which is this nuclear arms comedy he yeah. made with Chevy chase. That is fucking awful. Like it's just been forgotten that. to time. Mm-hmm. But now these like high profile directors who put their stamp, like this is a Taika Waititi movie or yeah. this is an, uh, Ari Emerald Aster. movie or Ari Aster. Right. Yeah. They're not allowed to misstep. They're not yeah. allowed to try a new genre or like try their hand in something. Cause it's always like people are so fixed in onto the Hodorowski idea that like you're, body of work has to be this one grand vision that you're reinforcing every project. And yeah, the freaking style has something to it where you just like kind of churn them out. And over time, like each little like genre experiment has some good results and some bad ones. And you kind of forget the bad ones over time. And I love discovering those kind of directors where like you find their name and then you look at all the movies. You're like, Oh, he did that and that and that. Wow. Okay. Richard Donner's like that. Richard. Yeah. That's a good example. But, um, Hannah, what have you been watching? (laughs) So I am still doing my Criterion challenge and I watched uh, Rebecca, which was the like, you have to watch a movie for each decade since I think the 1920s or something. So Rebecca was my pick and it stars uh, Laurence Olivier as um, Max DeWinter and he's this like very wealthy widower. And he meets um, this woman uh, played by Joan Fontaine, who's actually unnamed um, throughout the movie. She doesn't you never learn her first name. And she's this like very young um, paid companion for this older woman. And he uh, he kind of like whisks her away. They meet in Monte Carlo and he like brings her to they get married and he brings her to his like huge estate and uh, his former wife Rebecca died like a year earlier and um, his new bride is kind of like haunted by her ghost. She had this old housekeeper that was like obsessed with Rebecca and her underwear. Yes. And her underwear. (laughs) Um, And like, so she has to step up into the role of his um, former wife and feels inadequate. Uh, And it really has like beautiful Gothic, horror feels like the the estate is huge beautiful like opulent and she is like kind of so sweet and naive kind of stumbling into it uh it's directed by alfred hitchcock speaking of auteur theory yeah um and i i really really liked it it was i it's not my favorite hitchcock but i thought it was just like so kind of eerie and spooky and there's some like like wonderful queer stuff going on. Lawrence Olivier is just like, I don't know. He's just hot. He has this, he had this one line in the beginning because when they're kind of like during their initial flirtation, she is feeling like young and naive and like he's quite a bit older than she is. And she says like, Oh, I want to wear black satin and pearls and I want to be, uh, I want to be 36. And he's like, please promise me never to wear black satin and pearls and to never be 36 years old. <laughs> it's just like a really creepy thing to say to a, y- a young woman that you're romancing, but it was, I don't know. He can just do anything. Um, so I thought it was that, I think that's a great, like, October coming up. It's a little long. It does end up getting into like a court case thing at the end, which I think was 
kind of common for that time. And also, like, it, it is based on an existing novel. Um, but I, I don't know. I thought it was super interesting. And then James and I have been watching movies directed by Hal Hartley, who was this kind of, like, indie director in, like, the 90s, maybe the mm-hmm. late did he do anything in the 80s or pretty Maybe much like the 90s? Maybe like 89. But, but his work yeah. has been like super hard to see in a yeah. way that like other people around that time, I'm thinking of like Todd Haynes or something. Right. Their work is like around, but Hal Hartley's yeah. stuff just disappeared. And yeah, yeah. And Criterion has a like retrospective yeah. right mm-hmm. now of all of his stuff. So we've been kind of working through him chronologically. Yeah. I think like every th- almost everything he's done, including short films, Um I had never heard of him before, and I think James, you just kind of stumbled upon yeah. his stuff, and then we started watching it. And the the movie that I wanted to talk about was um, Amateur, which was uh, released in 1994 and st- stars Isabel Hubert as a former nun who writes, who is a virgin and writes pornography, and she uh, meets this man who's an amnesiac. And he is like involved in this criminal pornography underworld. And he uh, he was like pushed out of a window by his wife and has done all of these horrible things that he can't remember. And the movie is just so weird and dreamy and hazy. And Isabel Hubert is a total freak. And just like it's like it exists in a world that was written by a writer in a pulp novel, Um, like beautifully stylized there's the scene where isabel hubert is wearing this like full like leather outfit and she's like attacking people with a drill i don't know it's just great dreamy weirdo porn stuff i'm sold yeah yeah it it's a strange like after watching a few i think we've watched like four of his movies now and like i really like his sense of humor it's very very deadpan very like philosophical Mm -hmm. but it's incredibly funny and strange and stilted and uh amateur especially like i think that was the first one of his we watched i was like what i don't know where to place this movie like it sounds like a d hanukkah piano teacher i don't it's it's (laughs) like her character sounds very similar but without that director's touch but it's got like a little touch of like mumblecore okay in it and it's it's very like early 90s indie but he also uses a lot of like indie rock artists in his soundtracks, so, like Sonic Youth and um, some other. Art. But he's a really interesting director that I like. Honestly, I'd never heard of him before. And his stuff is like really weird, but I don't know. It has like a really nice heart to it. And Amateur, I think, is probably the strangest. Of- yeah the ones we've watched so far. It's really strange and sad. And also I thought it was extremely funny. Like the, so the, in one of the first scenes, Isabel Hubert is writing in a cafe and she's reading what she's writing out loud. And she's writing this conversation between these two people and they're talking about death. And then it like turns into pornography you know, so it's like this philosophical conversation and then like he grabbed her perfect ass. <laughs> and everybody in the cafe is like, will you please leave? Leave that to yourself. <laughs> right. And like the dialogue is very stilted. It, it reminded me a little bit of Yorgos Lanthimos. Like I just, there is something that really tickles me about like bad, like 
not bad, but strange stilted dialogue that's used intentionally. But yeah, that's it's one of the weirdest movies I've watched recently. And it's on the Criterion channel right now. And they also um, put Gregor Rocky on there. Yes. From that same class of like 90s indie boom. Yeah. Just like, I think Todd Solon's as well. Maybe some 90s Harmony Korean. Like there's this whole wave of people that like made money on these like indie budgets whose work Mm -hmm. is just not commercially available right now. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I want to check that out. It's a good time. Uh, Brittany, what have you been watching? Um, I've been watching a ton of movies. (gasps) Oh. Because I... Signed up for the Lifetime Movie Network. Oh, yes. there it is. Um, immediately went after all the VC Andrews movies that Lifetime's done because those aren't available anywhere. Not even for like rent, I think. This is Flowers in the Attic. This is everything. Yeah. So I talked about the uh, the Heaven series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to finish that off. There was like one more that I didn't see. But... Yes, um, My Sweet Audrina, which is more of like a series versus movies, but love the the book. So it was cool to see the Lifetime version of it. But yes, Flowers in the Attic, there's a shit ton of Flowers in the Attic shit on there. There is a whole series where it's Flowers in the Attic Origins. That's about Olivia Foxworth, who's like the mean <laughs> grandma and like why she became so mean. Wow. And it's all like she basically she found religion, had an abusive husband, and it made her into a monster. Wow. Which is fabulous. So that was like six hours of best days of my life or best time <laughs> of my life. But yeah, so um, Flowers in the Attic, the Lifetime remake, it's a little different than the OG one because it's made to have the you know the books to follow where like the original one just tried to kind of sum everything up but what the movie I want to talk about that I loved is Petals on the Wind which is um the sequel to Flowers in the Attic and that was filmed in like 2014 stars Heather Graham still she's Corinne in the first movie she's Corinne in here like, that's where she's been the, yeah she hasn't seen her in so long she's busy playing like the worst incestuous mother in the world <laughs> um this one was actually like film um, directed by a woman and it's like the best film I think out of that entire series and there's like if you don't count origins there's like four movies and this one's so good because it's everyone acts so well in it and it's so trashy well the way flowers in the attic kind of ends is the kids get out of the attic and then they go and they start their lives well petals in the wind starts where their caregiver has passed away so there's um you know three children and the older daughter wants to get revenge on her mother and does so by sleeping with her mother's husband mm. and gets pregnant for him. But the whole time, like Christopher, who's her brother, is jealous because he really loves her. And they <laughs> they end up raising that child on their own. And it's like the most insane web of incest I've ever like experienced <laughs> in my life. So Corinne married, so their mother, Corinne married her uncle, who was actually her brother. What? So then they had children. And then those two brother and sister that Corinne had, they got married and had their own children. (laughs) And one of the children they raised was their mother's husband's child with, her daughter 
I need like a red Isn't string crazy? conspiracy yeah. board, like I connecting was, everybody. I was just going to say, Brittany, I feel like you are the genealogist yeah, for yeah. like the Lifetime <laughs> films. Andrews. Yeah. You need to like write a treatise. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but the way it's done, it's like, it's really well. Like it follows like the kids on their own and like, you know, the older daughter like goes to New York City to be a ballerina and then she's like in a relationship with this douchebag ballerina and then her little sister like it's everyone's always trying to fuck each other mm. everyone i mean that's that's life, it's insane baby. it's yeah. like the trashiest stuff ever but it's so good and it sounds like it's building to like an i'm my own grandpa like punchline <laughs> right. you know <laughs> god well ellen bernstein plays olivia foxworth who's like the mean grandma and she is like on her last leg in this movie like she's bedridden but she's still this like evil old woman and whenever the kids expose their mother and is like hi mother it's me because like corinne basically like ignored them and she didn't want anyone to know she had them that's why they were in the attic in the first movie but ellen bernstein is just in this like i don't give a fuck i'm about to die years of her life and she just like laughs while the kids are exposing her mother because she hates her daughter so much wow it's awesome (laughs) yeah heather graham's great in it she needs an oscar for everything she's done in these movies uh another movie that i'll watch like now like all these lifetime movies that i grew up on are all like lined up on there so it's it's been insane (laughs) but we were the mulvaney's i remember watching this when i was younger because it had just come out. I think it's like from 2003 and like Blythe Danner is in it. Um, she's like the mother, but it's basically this like family in upstate New York. They have a farm. They're like this picture perfect family. It's like the seventies. There's like two sons and a daughter and the daughter goes to the prom and she gets like date raped at the prom. And then she gets, um, I guess like that all comes to surface where she gets like an exam, like an examination from her doctor and like, yeah, your daughter was totally raped. But her dad, Bo Bridges is like afraid of losing a bid on a job because the son who raped the daughter, like her, his dad like owns the company. It's bizarre. So basically they send her away and like their whole family like falls apart to where like he becomes an alcoholic. No one talks to her and she joins like a commune. And the, they, like, lose their farm and the whole family split up and no one talks to each other. And it's all because the parents were so horrible. And, like, when I watched, like, rewatched it, I was like, holy shit, is the parents that were dicks. Like, they sent their daughter away because they couldn't look at her for something that, like, shouldn't have happened to her anyway. But it's interesting how, like, when it first came out, like, it's almost like Lifetime wanted everyone to go this family broke apart and then they lost everything and now they're trying to heal. I don't know. It's just interesting rewatching <laughs> yeah. all these movies with like an adult perspective. Yeah. It's, it's been a wild ride. It sounds <laughs> like you're going to be in this hole for the next six months. I yeah, can't. Yeah. This is not the last lifetime update we're about to get. Right. Can't get out of it. <laughs> oh my God. It's like you getting Spotify. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, there's music <laughs> yeah, to discover. Yeah. I forgot music. about music for about five <laughs> years. I'm back though. I, I'm telling you, I went through like all the fucking movies on there and made like a watch list and it took me an hour to do that. I was like, oh, yes, this yeah. one. Oh God. I of remember course, this. Yes. Of course. I don't want to tell you how much time it took me to go back to my last FM account and re- try to remember what music sure. I like. Lord. <laughs> I spent like two days on this project. I mean like. 
Oh yeah, I like that band. I have not thought about them in eight years. Isn't that crazy? It's yeah. like, and then you go through it and you're like, shit, I remember a mix CD that I made with right. this band on it with other shit. What was that other shit? That actually going. happened with one of the movies we're going to talk about today. Where oh, I was like, yeah. holy shit, I used to love that band. I fr- so KMFD or whatever? No. no right? close. Uh, same movie. Same KMFDM, movie. I missed a letter there and there. Something like that. I'm out of, I'm out of touch. I haven't touched music in so long. I just had one comment. I don't know anything about VC Andrews. I do know Flowers in the Attic. I've never watched it. But I have to, I just want to say Flowers in the Attic to Petals in the Wind is such a great like progression of a series name. Like these flowers trapped in the attic and then they're let, they're freed from the house and let to float in the wind. That I just I wanted lyrical. to say that. Yeah. I need to, yeah. There's, I can't remember the last two titles off the top of my head, but it's like the seeds of something and right. the thorns of something. Uh, <laughs> wow, all plants. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The whole life cycle. All, baby. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. And it, it ends with the seed. Seeds yeah. of yesterday. <gasps> so the incest Good spreads God. from the attic. <laughs> Finds oh, no. dirt to like takes promise root. something new, <laughs> right. but then that new thing grows thorns and, and hurts other people uh, later on. It's like God. I just want these people to like not marry their brothers and sleep. They with really their need stops. like a twenty-three and me or one <laughs> right, right. right. Oh my god! Yeah, they need to get together. You, they need to meet with Brittany. I like to meet be like, them, okay, look, this you can't you gotta fuck this person, this. this person, or this person. <laughs> Go on. They're like color coded. It's yeah. so funny. I can't remember what movie I watched, but like I love looking at the reviews because there's like five people in Letterboxd that review these. Yeah. And like one, I can't remember which movie it was. It was like, this was great and all, but no incest. Boo, one star. Wow. Because <laughs> like, uh, there are some that there are none. There's right. just like a bunch of twisted, like, you know, sassy cousins doing dumb shit. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it sounds like everyone has been watching stuff at home. Yes. Which makes sense because it's the end of summer and like the movies are kind of mm. dead right now. There's not a lot in yeah. the theaters right now. Especially with the strike. A lot of stuff has been pushed to later in the year for like award season because there's a lot of space left there now or pushed to next year because they need stars like Zendaya to you know promote their work. Uh, but I did go to the theater one time recently to see Jawan, the Indian action blockbuster. Uh, it is a Bollywood film. That I was basically begging James to go see with me for the past five days. To, well, <laughs> it did not all, happen. I couldn't do it on a Wednesday because of work. I was down to do it Thursday, but then it wasn't showing what four o'clock. Yeah, which the, wasn't the gonna happen. second week um, showtimes got very anemic. I didn't expect it to play two weeks at all, but it was like the number four movie in America last week. So that's how thin things are right now. Yeah. So this is the new movie starring Shah Rukh Khan who was in the only other really good Indian action blockbuster I've seen this year, which is called Pathan. And he is basically like India's Tom Cruise. He's just like a universally recognized, globally famous person who I've seen in maybe three movies. Like, you know, it's like this whole industry that is just like so huge and just like millions of people go and see this stuff. And if you're not plugged into it, you just like have no idea who these people are. This is a Bollywood movie. And... I would say in more recent years, I've been promoting and pushing y'all to watch more of the South Indian action films because those are the ones I like. They're a little more dangerous and rickety and like go for like big punches where like the Bollywood stuff's a little slower to adapt. But they hired a South Indian director named Atli to direct this Bollywood action blockbuster starring SRK. So in this one, he plays a terrorist who is committing acts of terror for the right reasons. He's like holding 
basically banks and government hospitals hostage for the money to be rerouted into the people's pockets. And it's one of those lone wolf action blockbusters where you're like, why is this guy, you know, going against the law if he believes in what is right? And it turns out this is like the first of many, many twists. I would not give this away if I didn't think it was like hinted at in the trailers, but he's like the warden of a prison. And you're like, why is this populist hero a prison warden? Like that seems very oxymoronic, you know, but it's a woman's prison and all of the women love him and they cheer him on. It's these prisoners cheering on their warden, which is something you never see because that's fucking stupid. <laughs> and uh, He pulls it off. He's like, prison is a exploitative business that is, you know, profiting off of these people's literal imprisonment. And like, I need to find a way to make the systems improve people's lives because everything's slow to change. It's here to prop up a few businessmen. And what he does is he breaks his select girl gang from this one prison cell who are like dedicated to his cause out of jail every now and then to go on these heists where wow. they steal money from the government and steal money from these like big businessmen and then refunnel that money into the people's hands to like save farmers from killing themselves because they owe the bank too much money or save women um, and children from dying in the hospital because they can't afford to go um, to a private hospital instead of government funded one and underfunded, obviously. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really good populist crowd pleaser. It, it made me laugh. It made me cry a little bit with the children stuff. There's a lot of like dying children in this movie that, that like mm. really talks with your heartstrings. And I cheered because the action is like really loud and explosive. And there's like actual song and dance numbers mixed in with the action. Um, I feel like a lot of Indian blockbusters and I feel like I'm, I'm going to throw the South Indian stuff under the bus a little bit. They have the music video song and dance numbers that feels completely separate from the action. This one is like characters in the moment singing and dancing in the actual scene where mm. it's set. It doesn't jump to a music video mm. outside of it. So more like a musical. Right. Like a like a traditional Bollywood style. Very cool. Which I feel like is being lost a little bit in the more recent era. So yeah, I, I don't need to promote Shah Rukh Khan. Like he's a pretty famous guy. But you know, if you don't regularly watch this stuff, it's hard to tell what's like a big deal versus what's not. And Jawan, which translates to soldier, is a really good <laughs> action movie. Uh, one of the better action movies I've seen all year. Were there a lot of folks in the theater with you? Yeah. Uh, for a second week, midday on a weekend, like yeah. um, probably like 20 people. Wow. A lot yeah. of them were of Indian descent from what I could tell. And, you know, we're like laughing at lines that refer to Aliyah Bhatt or Bahubali which are pretty obvious references. Like I got the reference, which means that it's not like a deep cut, but they were like laughing at stuff that was like self-referential within the Bollywood and Tollywood and Hollywood, like action um, milieu. Mm. So like it was, it was a big crowd pleaser. It, it's basically like I went to mission impossible and I'm telling you mission impossible was good. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's not like a deep cut or anything, but yeah. it's a really fun movie and it should be on Netflix in a few weeks. Um, highly recommend watching it next time you want to see cool. like a three nice. hour action film. Um, definitely more interested in that than whatever's going on in like fast X, which just hit streaming this week as well. I will throw out one more. I have also been watching trash at home. So I feel like I should bring myself down to your level. You know, <laughs> uh, I watched this movie called cyber stalker from 1995, which is a pretty anonymous serial killer thriller that like cashes in on and exploits 
like mid nineties tech. This is like the internet is coming into people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? And you know, this is like the, around the same era as like the net and all the other cyber thrillers we're about to talk about later in this episode, which yeah. is why I'm bringing it up. But I was watching this movie and like the only things that are like remarkable about it are the killer is dressed to look like Lisa Loeb. Like she <laughs> wears like coffee shop nerd <laughs> outfits wow. in the movie, which I don't feel like you normally see from a serial killer. And there's some fun internet era kills. Like the the very first victim is choked to death with a modem cord. And like that kind of thing, you know? That's right. And um, the killer transforms as the movie goes along from this Lisa Loeb nerd who's really into comic books and recruits her kills from this chat room where people are supposed to talk about cyber thoughts, which is her favorite comic. <laughs> and the author of the comics is played by Jeffrey Combs, who is like the only named actor you would recognize in the film. Like, it's so cheap that, like, Jeffrey Combs is, like, the big celebrity get. (laughs) But I wanted to sort of do some place setting for this episode. And I was doing some research on Cyberstalker, which is not a movie I'm actually recommending. It's fine. You know, it's completely, you know, bland. But I was looking at direct-to-VHS cyber thrillers from around this era. Mm. And I was like, how bland is this? Like, how unremarkable it is. So, like, from 1990 to 1997, these are all titles of actual movies. Cyber Stalker, Cyberpunk, Cyber Chic, Cyber Tracker, Cyber Jack, Cyber Bandits, Cyber Zone, and Cyber Vengeance. Oh, God. These oh, are my all God. Movies I haven't you seen any of see. them. I'm sure most of them are on Tubi, right? Like, probably. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Cyber Place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved, like, and I'm assuming that these follow the same pattern, but, like, the internet's coming into your home, so a bunch of perverts are going to be in your home, too. Right. And a bunch of, like, psychopathic people. She does transform from Lisa Loeb into like a dominatrix. Like she starts wearing these like leather mm. outfits uh, once she gets into her cyber persona. It's a little cyber. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember watching Virtual Assassin a few months ago on Tubi and it was kind of the same like middling cyber thriller from the era. And immediately right after that on Tubi, it started playing another movie with virtual in the title. Right. It's like Virtual Killer or something like that right after it. Like, it's just an infinite amount of video store shelf. Yeah. Bullshit. And I, I remember too, like back then if you were doing anything sexual over the internet is called cybering. It's weird. Like no one uses that term. Cyber sex. Yeah. We were cybering last night. There's bizarre. And I'll get a list for you, but there's a couple of like made for TV lifetime movies that came out like in that era too, to like warn parents about like, better watch your kids on the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's all pervs. And I guess the place setting for this episode is like most of that stuff was straight to TV straight to blockbuster mm-hmm. like made for the video market but we're going to talk about today as a director who believed in this stuff so much that he like made sure it was like major studio money in theaters where you like go out of the way to go watch this like as an event film um which i feel like is different from the cyber stalker cyber chic right. virtual assassin he, he is a, a a real believer right yeah he believes in the tech a man of great ideas yeah <laughs> so uh Exploitation autourism is coming up <laughs> right, right now. I'm curious to know, have we gone, you know, really far into special effects, computer, digital, and all of that? Or have, is it just, we've just skimmed the surface? Where are we? We're just skimming the surface. We're in the stone knives and bearskins level at this point. We're just getting to the point where the medium is really metamorphosizing into what it's really becoming, which is much more immersive uh, entertainment that's more interactive with the audience. And I think that 
that immersive experience that you can create with truly three-dimensional media is uh, just in its birth cry right now. Do you find, though, that there are certain people who just can't handle a lot of that interactive stuff? I think that I think there's definitely a significant portion of the audience that would like to just sit back and see a nice love story, and I think that's great. I, I mean, I love uh, all forms of cinema, but there's, uh, in terms of cinema that pushes the edge of what's going on, both creatively and technologically, um, these tools are a big part of that. I had randomly heard about this movie called Hideaway from 1995. Some people online were talking about, you know, how batshit crazy it was and all this. I was like, okay, I got to see this. And within the first 10 minutes, uh, so the movie stars Jeff Goldblum, who has like a near-death experience and his soul gets intertwined with a child killer who also murdered two-thirds of his family and did a ritual sacrifice and his soul gets trapped in hell and their souls are trapped and they can both see through each other's eyes. But in the first like 10 minutes of this movie, there's a very trippy mid nineties Microsoft, like the earliest CGI animation you can imagine. I'm watching. I'm like, man, this is like really similar to lawnmower man. (laughs) The vibe of this, like, and sure enough, the director, Brett Leonard did, direct lawnmower man which we'll talk about later and there was some there's something about this style of visual effects that i find has actually aged really really well and is enthralling to me this film hideaway is based off of a dean Kuntz novel who is i've always thought of kind of like a low rent stephen king um i read a few of his books in high school i I don't know. They're a nice way to pass the time. Nothing. Airport novels. He's kind of like yeah. cyber Stephen King. Like, doesn't he <laughs> yeah. have like a lot of like cyber twists to his, mo- to his books? I think so. I I mean, I don't think he's like a bad author. It's just like serviceable horror stuff. Yeah, airport novels. I don't think this particular work had cyber worlds in mind, though. Yeah, like yeah. that's definitely Brett Leonard bringing that to the material. Yeah, like I read the synopsis for the book, and it actually seemed like a more cohesive. Story than what we actually get in here because, yeah, so Hideaway is not a good film, I don't think, but it's got that like perfect mid 90s. It stars Alicia Silverstone. This is like the same year that Clueless came out, and I think her co star of Clueless is in the film too, is the serial killer Jeremy Sisto. Sisto, yeah. And it's just like seeing through the eyes of a killer thing and their souls are in battle, the good versus evil. And it's kind of all over the place, but it's a pretty wild ride. And the first 15 minutes and the last 20 minutes are outrageous. (laughs) Um, Especially when the killer's soul gets lost in hell. Essentially there's a, really dirty like these souls that are off of this like sphere sphere mm-hmm. of hot molten lava and they're screaming and then later on you get this angel being and they're battling good versus evil and it's like this cheap cgi 
there's something about that that I find really enthralling. Yeah, when, when you say earlier that like the effects of aged well, what do you mean by that? Because it's not like what I think affects people want, which is for it to look as realistic as possible. No. I don't think it's aged well in that yeah. way. It's like I was thinking about it with vaporwave. Yes. It, it's like this kind of music that's like it's all like old Nintendo blips and bloops and like very cheap synthesizers. It's an aesthetic that's like rooted in a very specific time. It's very nostalgic to a like the mid to late 90s that is I think like cool again. Yeah. Yeah. Like watching Hideaway with the CGI stuff, it's cool. Like I don't know if it was cool at the time, but it is cool now. Yeah, it it has like a distinct character and it evokes as a very specific mood. I think that CGI that doesn't age well is is intended to look exactly like the thing it's portraying and it's bad because it doesn't look like that and it's obvious. But it doesn't really have like personality and this is like it's creating a very specific world that you're entrenched in that doesn't necessarily look realistic, but it looks like itself. And I definitely try to go out my way to see stuff that's gimmicky and of the time now. I'm thinking specifically of the unfriended style, like screen life movies that mm-hmm. are like, this is what it looks like to be on a computer right now. And like at the time, the mid 2010s, yeah. or there's like more recent ones that are like dash cam footage or whatever. But like, I really love stuff that's like instantly dated like that because a lot of directors, I'm thinking of the big names like Wes Anderson, Martin Scorsese, like the people who like get praised all the time, the non-Brett Leonard's of the world, like <laughs> they have retreated into the 1970s uh, style of filmmaking and never emerged from that. Like they're afraid to touch tech because it becomes instantly dated. But because of that, we don't see the imagery that we interact with on a daily basis yeah. represented on screen. So like these Brett Leonard films are pretty trashy and exploitative and like yeah. trying to push the tech forward is like this is state of the art stuff. But because at the time it was a little corny in doing that, now we have this like perfect time capsule of what digital culture looked like at that time that we're like, maybe there are screen grabs and like user interface records of what mid nineties tech looked like but we don't interact with that stuff i can go back and watch hideaway or the lawnmower man and actually see those graphics in effect and it's very accessible and like easy to go back to yeah and i i think too like i i just remember having like a playstation and they're like they would come out with the new console whatever it was if it was n64 playstation 2 and like the graphics you would just be your mind would be blown right. i can't imagine like this world that I can inhabit mm-hmm. in this video game. Like you look at that now and it's so dated and it's so bad by modern standards. Yeah, they're embarrassed. Like right now they're going back and redoing the graphics for Tomb Raider, Laura Croft or whatever. And it's like, why would you erase history like that and try to yeah. update those the graphics like for it? Obvious polygons. Like, yeah, give it the look. I don't know that we're all nostalgic for. Yeah, it's charming. Yeah. And a lot of Brett Leonard's stuff, is like charming and nostalgic for me at least. I mean, I kind of grew up on, you know, I would have been like 10 years old when Hideaway came out and I would have thought that this tech looked crazy cool. It was rad. Yeah. 
It does look a little bit like a Windows like music visualizer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a, but it's great. You know, those little spindly skeletons, ha- they have personality. You know, yeah. they're all like writhing around and screaming. And it's but good yeah, stuff. But I think like like Jurassic Park came out, what, same thing, like mid-90s, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people think of that as like the heyday of CGI where it was like, it was still realistic, but you still had your like puppets and your animatronics. And there's something about the like early 2000s CGI that I don't think is aged well. Cause like Yet. Hannah said, I mean, maybe in five more years, ma- like right. be that much more further from it. how vaporwave yeah. is cool now. Yeah. Cause like you said, like they were trying, the technology was to the point where it could look realistic, but I don't think that stuff is aged. Yeah. As well, this is very specific to a time. Yeah, the very quick example, when we were talking about Terrence Malick recently, there's one movie where it's like, you know, all these beautiful realistic shots and then he goes to like dinosaur land. And it's just like so obviously not a real dinosaur and it takes you out of it. But like Brett Leonard injects you into the world and it doesn't matter that it looks like 25 years old. And he eventually did his own Jurassic Park exploitation movie uh, for IMAX, uh, which we'll definitely get into his IMAX era as well. <laughs> but like he is like, I'm going to do 3D IMAX tech displays now. And he did a Jurassic Park one that I think is one of his more famous ones from that era. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it at yeah. the IMAX theater Hell on a yeah. class Whoa! trip. Cool. <laughs> and we went to the aquarium. Which has been disassembled, which I find very sad. So sad. Because it was the only like proper IMAX theater in New Orleans. Yeah. And one year for New Orleans Film Fest, they played this movie called Are We Not Cats There, which was this body horror film. Oh, my God. And like Cece and I were maybe a fifth of the audience. Like <laughs> it's like barely anybody showed up in this huge cavernous theater. And there was um, the scene where these people have um, pika, which means they eat like things like that rocks are food. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not rocks, uh, like soil. Well, in this one, they eat hair <laughs> and the hair gathers like a um, hairball, like in Ew. a cat's stomach. And this man has to perform surgery on his girlfriend to remove the cackle hair. And just watching that on that huge 40 foot tall oh screen or whatever, like lucky. It was like, this is incredible. Why aren't you using the screen for like actually exciting art instead of Glenn Petrie's, uh, you know, oh, the Katrina, Katrina documentary. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like post Katrina, it was just, we're going to show this for the rest of the time until yeah. the shit gets mm-hmm. torn down. But pre Katrina, they had all kinds of like cool, like the dinosaur, the dinosaur shit one, or they played that Simpsons episode where Homer goes in the 3D sphere. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, beyond like the tech component of this movie, like there's something about it that I felt so comforted by. It <laughs> reminded me of the same, like the same feeling I get when I watch like those early like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin movies, or even a little TMNT because like of that whole you know, his sort of shrine to Satan that's all this, like, twisted metal, and he's got this, you know, sort of slick back hair and this, like, Matrix coat. Years before the Matrix, too. I know, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was so cool, like, him as this terrifying villain who had, like, literally no soul, terrorizing this fucking family. Also got, like, Cape Fear vibes from it, too. Yeah. Where, Mm -hmm. you know... I I definitely felt the nostalgic when they're in the like nightclub scene and (laughs) and i heard like the music in the background i'm like like that shit hits hard what is that god flesh like oh yeah there's a god flesh there's a god who is like 
I don't know. I love God flesh and I love that like tech death. This film has a very good score for that time period. It does. But just like Alicia Silverstone in this like grimy matrixy a very cheap version of the matrix nightclub because like when you watch the nightclub scene in the matrix when when neo first meets trinity like Mm -hmm. that feels like a real snm club that has like depth Mm -hmm. the one in this movie feels like a room with like 10 people in it (laughs) like one you know chain link fence in the middle to like kind of demarcate the stage but a bunch of like hip teens yeah yeah (laughs) i love like movies like this that have those like cool club scenes because I remember being younger watching that and being like, fucking can't wait till I'm older. Hell yeah. And they don't fucking <laughs> exist. And that, like, at least, like, how that is with, like, that type of, well, like, house music. Well, the goths left uh, the French Quarter by the time we were old enough to drink, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. They're slowly trickling back. But there was a period <laughs> where we were, like, too old to go I, to the dungeon. You I know? do love, though, that she's so stoked to go to the Pearl Jam concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was, like, my first concert as a kid. So that oh, resonated wow. with me, too. And the Wachowski sisters are like big enough dorks that you could see them watching Brett Leonard movies and be like, yeah, fuck yeah, I can't totally. wait to make my I own think version so. of this. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, this is a fun movie. Like Jeff Goldblum, who I love, is really giving it his all. <laughs> I mean, he kind of has to. Like yeah. he's holding up the whole movie by himself. He was really yeah, good. Yeah. He goes good. totally ham and it's, it's great. I think this is not Brett Leonard's best work. But I think it's as boldest in a way, because like on one level, this is just a standard Jeff Goldblum serial killer Dean Koontz adaptation. So like (laughs) there are tons of movies where it's like this normal suburban person sees through the eyes of a killer. Yeah, that's like its own genre at this point. We did Body Parts, I think, last Halloween. Oh, with Jeff Yeah. Oh, Jeff Fahey will come up later. But this reminded me of, of Body Parts with the whole like the doctor like i brought you back to life yeah yeah, yeah. It's right like a the frankenstein mad story yes yeah. so yeah th- this is a very familiar genre template and most of brett leonard's stuff is about the tech specifically and it's about vr and like how we're about to go into this new virtual world beyond this physical one and like that makes sense that all the tech would be forward and like upfront and in your face but this one is like a standard serial killer movie that like you see the tech when you go into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying this is what VR looks like, it's him saying like, this is where our souls go when we die. It's yeah. this like Windows 95 screensaver <laughs> landscape, which is a really bold move, I think. I I mean, it honestly- <laughs> I hope I, that's not real. It, it made me so think of like, and this is kind of a weird comparison, but like a dark song, mm. like the metaphysical, the literal like souls fighting in this battle of good and evil, like, it is bold to even go there and portray in such a like dated technology, this battle of like hell versus heaven, the souls of man. Yeah. Like I I think that stuff, that stuff gets me very excited. And visually it reminded me of enter the void, like the um, depictions of the afterlife and of your soul traveling. I mean, this, I mean, in (laughs) enter the void, maybe the little ghost apparitions don't have like the Jeff Goldblum face on it. A human face strapped on (laughs) the the ghost from Casper. Just like a, like a fart just slowly dissipating in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think that that stuff is very exciting and i yeah i think the audacity of this film 
bumped it up for me more than like the rest of the movie like the first like james was saying the first 15 minutes bananas and then it's kind of like normalizes a little bit and then the last 20 minutes like it, it's so it ratchets up so quickly and then it's just like cosmic battles between gods I, and then it's evil, over yeah. yeah i am a sucker too for like a good stage setting like the fact that it ends in an abandoned yeah. amusement park with this so like cool. very like cool Brittany was describing earlier this tower that's yeah. like this art project that the serial killer's been putting together right he had only which, been working on it for a few years right. I'm like, this looks like a lifetime of work mean, in the book they make it clear like he's sa- like sacrificing his victims to the demon that yeah. is inhabiting his soul it's not as clear in the movie why he's making this art well, installation? I, th- I thought that he was basically recreating that like ball what he of saw souls. In hell. Yeah, exactly. The movie's also not clear on exactly why Jeff Goldblum and this like pre-Columbine serial killer are, like linked. Like someone throws it away as a throwaway line, like "Oh, it was a coincidence of like cosmic proportion or something." And then like they also had the same doctor that brought them back from the break. Yeah. But I asked Hannah multiple times. I'm, I'm like, can you explain what actually happened in this movie to me? I don't <laughs> think like you can do a proper. And again, reading the Dean Koontz synopsis, it's more clear in the book. In the film, it's kind of jumbled. Yeah. Like, I don't actually know the mechanisms. Gotta read that book. Why their um, souls are linked in that yeah. way. I mean, to me, it, it was like they... I don't know why they're linked exactly, but it was just like the process for integrating was interrupted. So they like bring back a piece of whatever like cosmic. But why entity. can he see through his eyes? I, I mean, it was some weird shit his doctor dad did that we didn't know about. Or it's like yeah. it's like they're both like I would imagine those places exist on the same plane. Uh-huh. So like because they're both existing on both planes, they're connected somehow. But the rules behind when they can see right oh, each it's, other, all over it's the very place. murky. Like I I will say of any of the films we're going to talk about, this one I was like I could actually do a sequel. Like I want to learn more about same how this actually works, and I want further battles between heaven and hell uh but obviously that didn't happen also but. worth noting it's not the furthest he's ever deviated from a source text sued multiple times to get his name off of this film right really? wow. this is not the only example of that <laughs> yeah Jeez. other lawsuits were one in the same vein <laughs> yeah. so yeah i don't know i feel like this is a good introduction and it maybe him at his most bombastic, like the highs are very high. Because it's not actually movie. a text exploitation movie. No, it's not. Not the way the other ones are. This mm-hmm. one is like, oh, this is just what effects look like now, which is a bold thing to claim and put forward because it's not at all. Like this is the afterlife. <laughs> but I like yeah. the idea that the afterlife looks <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, so many unanswered questions. Yeah. Like this yeah. was the most thought provoking movie <laughs> for me. I, I think so too. Because <laughs> I couldn't figure out. Well. We'll talk more about another yeah. shit. I couldn't figure out how a lot of this stuff works. I don't understand VR, y'all, or yeah. any of it. Also, I think this movie... The spiritual shit. Yeah. <sighs> I think it does establish, like, his preoccupation with, like, virtual orifices. I feel like those tunnels. feature... Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. they all Sphincters. look like, yeah, fleshy, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, flesh tunnels. He does love a tunnel and a big old tongue. Yeah. Or just, like, yeah, well, phallic things. Yeah. I think where you're 
confused is like where he is profiting because the idea is like the average person would never have heard of VR. Like they'd be watching one of his films and be like thinking about VR for the first time. Yeah. And it's like opening this like whole new realm and it's like the rules are unclear. So that's why he can do whatever he wants there. Gotcha. It's like the ambiguity of the internet is like a virtual space yeah. allows him to just do whatever the if fuck. If you do this shit now, I'd be like wrong. That's yeah, not real. Yeah. yeah. We know how it works. Right. Yeah. I like imagining heaven is just like nineties VR. That's what it is when we get up there. Yeah. That's <laughs> where you want to go when you die. Yeah, that's where I want to go. Oh, wow. Okay. He was uh, just Afterlife a genius. is a mediocre Brett Leonard. Be very flat. Yeah. <laughs> as we get toward the turn of millennium, what is going to happen with the human machine interface as we blend with the machines that extend our minds and extend our bodies what does that mean to culture what does that mean to the way people communicate what does that mean to the way people have sex as imagined in the film virtual reality sex is an experience of indescribable passion as a cinematic special effect it's an indescribable achievement just what the director was hoping for it's a little scary because you're, you're going to uncharted ground but it gives the audience something they've never seen before and when I go see a science fiction movie that's what I want to see, something I've never seen before. And it gives them a new ride. It's a new a new roller coaster ride. So my pick was The Lawnmower Man, which was formerly titled Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you something really funny? Yeah. I watched the trailer for this movie today. And um, in the trailer, there's a very pregnant pause where it goes, from the imagination. The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> oh, so Stephen, they took out Stephen King. Of Stephen King. Yeah, it's been like scrubbed from the record. <laughs> from the the imagination. That's great stuff. They should have just inserted Brett Leonard. Yeah, yeah. Brett Leonard. Brett the Lawnmower Leonard. Man. <laughs> so Stephen King wrote a short story called The Lawnmower Man. It has no real plot relation to this movie. I think it originally did. Like in the original script, there were some like elements that tied together um but it was originally titled stephen king's the lawnmower man and stephen king sued and he wanted his name taken off of it and he won and then i think he sued again because it ended up on the like home video release as well so stephen king's (laughs) got some money from brett leonard um i didn't know anything about this movie i've never seen this movie i got it confused with the cable guy um (laughs) you know i love that yeah it was a the whole introduction was a real surprise to me um it stars pierce brosnan as dr larry angelo who is conducting experiments into the expansion of human intelligence uh he's conducting these experiments on chimps uh, he's working on this project called Project 5 with uh, this company, Virtual Space Industries. Um, they're, like, pumping this chimpanzee with nootropics and doing these virtual reality sessions. And this chimp is – they're doing this program to make it a, into a combat chimp, and it goes – crazy and tries to escape and is killing people and they have to kill the chimp in the director's cut of this film the chimp lives 
I really don't know anything else about the director's cut. I know Brandon watched. I could it. report. Okay. <laughs> so the director's cut is what 30, 40 yeah, minutes I longer. Yeah, it's forty. I do not really recommend you spend <laughs> the extra forty minutes. Yeah. I will say that things make more sense because there's a lot of connective tissue that's taken out. But like effects shots, like the CGI stuff is what costs money so they didn't cut any of that out yeah so you're not missing the good stuff yeah the good stuff is yeah and and it's good so what happens is the chip escapes from the lab and he meets the lawnmower man in, <laughs> in the wild and they bond briefly wow. and then the lawnmower man watches the chimp get shot to death by the fence <gasps> oh, oh my god man. and he refers to the chimp as cybo man which is his favorite comic book superhero but yeah. Oh my God, that sounds like worth watching. Yeah, for. I got it. Well, okay, maybe those ten minutes, but there's another thirty, and you okay, know, <laughs> there's a lot of extra yeah. fat that's trimmed off. Yeah. But. So, um, Doctor Angelo stops this research, and uh, his wife leaves him, which is another deviation from the director's cut, and uh, he still wants to pursue this line of research, but he is he's not interested in using it as like a tool for developing soldiers um and he really wants to use it on a human subject and uh he clearly has no uh no idea about uh how to conduct responsible human subjects research because this is not how you do it anyway so he (laughs) he finds a um uh, there's this man who cuts the lawns in this neighborhood who is i think like living with a priest it seems like uh he's uh mentally disabled his name is job smith he's played by jeff Fahey. he has wild stringy yellow hair and overalls and um dr angelo decides to take him on as a test subject so he has this different formulation from project five so it's like a non-violent set of nootropics and he is injecting it into job the lawnmower man, and then putting him in this like gyroscopic virtual reality set. And it is like projecting eldritch signs into like Job Smith's mind. And slowly he's gaining intelligence. Yeah, I never, I didn't quite understand. I think it's a certain like strobe light pattern that like, like Unlocks. activates parts of his brain that he yeah. doesn't really use. He also, did, do you remember those sense. gyroscopic things? He used to have them at the mall. Right. Like I you could that. rent <laughs> yeah. and like ride them for 10 minutes. You could be <laughs> just like the lawnmower man for 10 to 15 <laughs> minutes. But like, at a did time. that come before or after the lawnmower man? Oh, probably after. Probably the after, but man. yeah. It was probably like a less affordable technology, so you could probably do it at like an amusement park and not the mall. But were yeah. they doing it to be like, hey, people are going to be like, just like the lawnmower man. <laughs> I can't wait to go to the mall. Yeah, that was some like brand opportunity right. that was missed. Yeah. As seen in Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Come on down to Clearview Mall. Duct tape over the Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Job is slowly gaining intelligence. He's also coming into his own as uh, now an adult that can consent to sex and he attracts the attention of this woman who like he cuts the lawns for and they enter into a relationship and over time this company uh dr angelo is still reporting to um people within his company and they kind of like uh switch the nootropics around so they give him a dose of the like violent super soldier batch and it kind of 
complicates the uh, experiments that Dr. Angelo is conducting and Job starts to gain like super sentience and like violent tendencies. And I, I brought up this woman because there is this wild scene where they go into VR together to have <laughs> like cyber sex and they are like melding into one body and then they turn into a dragonfly and then he turns into this big monster thing and he's like vomiting red like cum I guess on her and she's stuck in the mud and then she like goes insane. It's like a CGI frog spider. Yeah. <laughs> It's really hard to describe. An image he returns to the director in his Peter Gabriel music video, <laughs> right. Kiss That Frog. Kiss uh, That Frog. Because well, isn't that when he turns into the frog, he's like, come here and give me a kiss. <laughs> and then he t- <laughs> Peter yeah. Gabriel was at home taking notes like, he's that's like, what I need in my yeah. work. <laughs> so he eventually develops like psionic powers. He is able to manipulate uh, matter in ways that are impossible and like essentially the lawnmower man becomes a god and goes on this like violent rampage uh i this movie is completely insane pierce brosnan is really really committing hard and seems to be taking it very seriously um but i think i don't know i love these worlds of evil science intrigue and i think the thing that i really appreciated about the virtual effects in this movie were the the parts where they were like showing something that is kind of impossible like i love the idea of these two people like like sex in the virtual world being merging two bodies together and what that would mean physically and somatically and then like Job is able to like dissolve the atoms of people and just like make little tornadoes of particles and whisk them away. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's absolute lunacy. And it was like, I I don't know. I I thought it was very thrilling. Yeah. At first I thought the like, the mentally challenged stuff that yeah, was tough. That's, it's it bad. was tough. It's not the good. flowers for Algernon section is yeah, tough yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it actually doesn't take up that much space in the movie. And I actually kind of liked his when he starts getting smarter and he's he's like, I want to be a cowboy and I'm going to start getting laid. And I thought that was kind of cool to see that uh, progression. Yeah, when we oh, watched God. The Evil Within recently, like that movie never lets up on the mentally no. challenged performance. Oh yeah, right. I think we got. After that, I'm like, mm, nothing tops the evil within and how they approach it. Um, the style of the way everyone looks is so good. Like, Pierce Brosnan has an accent, earring, and long hair. <laughs> what? I like yes. that earring. That's that true. Earring. And it's Jeff hot. Fahey's character, Joe, looks like a scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That horrible hair. He has fried his hair <laughs> yeah. with a bleach. And when he, like starts becoming the lawnmower man he is drenched in sweat to the point where it looks like his face is melting yeah it's just so disgusting um kind of obsessed with it though i think his brain is just so hot with new information <laughs> it's like yeah. creating heat from right the he starts like reading minds and like freaking out in a cafe and everybody's yeah. like what is wrong with this man it was like outline the sweat that would like outline every crack in yeah. his face where i'm like oh he didn't look so young anymore yeah it was definitely some unethical research yeah you too. can't do that you you just can't you know <laughs> I feel like researchers in these kinds of movies would 
they would do so well for themselves to just read the human protection regulations. Yeah. Uh, you know, just stop at that point, you know? I will say that Pierce Brosnan character doing the research, like, that is the closest thing we get to, like, a Brett Leonard mouthpiece in any of these movies where, mm-hmm. like, he oh. really believes in the tech. Yeah. And if you watch interviews with Brett Leonard, like, he believes in this stuff. It's not just, like, a, you know, a calling card by happenstance. Right. And he didn't, like, stumble into this. He seems like he comes from that Northern California, like, Silicon Valley style of tech that's actually ruining the movie industry right now. Like, yeah. part of the reason that we're on strike is because all these tech bros are... I just said we're on strike like I'm in the fucking uh, WGA, but you know, <laughs> all these tech bros are coming in from Northern California and like funding a lot of the money, but they're like, oh, we need to get into AI and mm-hmm. NFTs and like basically dismantling cinema and selling it for parts. And Brett Leonard is kind of like that. Yes, like, he is. Yeah. He really can we, the tech stuff. Can we talk there. about frag films? Tell me about frag films. So <laughs> I went, I went on a deep Brett Leonard dive and his career is weird. Like he had this heyday of hideaway, definitely lawnmower man virtuosity. And then it just sort of fades away. Um, We didn't get really any big Hollywood work. And you look at like his Wikipedia, like what was he doing in the two thousands? The first thing he really got into was this idea of frag films. And I think he only made one, but it, can I read the Wikipedia paragraph on that? Yeah, read, read okay. it. It's wild. I actually had to like do research to understand what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> in 2012, Brett formed a new concept of musical cinema called Pop Fiction Life. Pop Seeing Fiction Life, yeah. the proliferation of small high-definition screens on smartphone tablets and laptops, Pop Fiction Life frag films are full-length feature movies with existing artists that have multiple free frags, fragments, of the movie, which are watchable, shareable, and embeddable in social media, blogs, and web pages. What? What does that <laughs> but mean? I under, I, so I listened to an interview with him about frag films. I think the idea was that we're going to shoot a movie, but then we're going to release, like, one or two scenes at a time on social media like quibby like quick bites yeah and like short tech bro shit yeah short little snippets to get people excited and so if you're following this film on whatever instagram or whatever it is like over months oh god you're like watching (laughs) clips and watching clips and you're getting like excited about the movie with the hopes of going to see the full length. Like, I want to see how it turns out. So I have gonna... seen one movie like that before. It was called Sick House, I think. And it was released as a Snapchat story. Yeah. So, like, it was first released on Snapchat as a found footage horror movie. And it, it wasn't, like, very innovative. It was basically like Blair Witch, but on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was kind of interesting seeing all the videos strung together and then were released as, like, a real movie after the fact. Yeah. But, like... It was still released as a real movie after the right. fact. That so, wasn't like on oh, my, you know, Snapchat so frag stories. films aren't a real movie at the end. No, they're, they're not distributed like, like in a real way. Okay, sounds like trading cards. But he <laughs> he did do trading frags. Trading frags. I forget what the the I'll band was. Some frag. like mediocre band. He did release a like basically a concert documentary, but like a fictionalized story around this band that he liked. And that I think oh that God. was like the only frag film that he actually mm-hmm. released. I just, I mean, from a promotional standpoint, I f- I feel like like 
isn't that kind of what a movie, a series of movie trailers does? Yeah. Right. Like, I know that it's not the same but format, it's, it's but I feel like... It's trying to get like, a more viral yeah, thing but I going. Just, I just personally, I feel like if I had watched a lot of... I don't know how many how many frags would be released before the film, but it's like, I don't want to... I want to see as little of the movie as possible right. before I see it. There's like trailers that come out that overdo it. I'm like, right. well, what the fuck am I going to see? Yeah. I guess I'll just wait for it to stream so I don't have to pay like fifteen dollars right. to so see the trailers. The yeah. band was called Burlap to Cashmere. Oh, I love them. <laughs> yeah, really? And it's like a <laughs> oh, no. that's, oh, that's no. a whole it's like, been listening to on like Spotify. A, it's just some like bluegrassy kind of band that I guess he likes. Wow. And so he shot this kind of like they would do with the Beatles. Back in the day, like a fictionalized, a mythologizing of this, I guess, mediocre bluegrass band. What if A Hard Day's Night was a frag film originally? How would that have changed cinema history? I don't know. <laughs> oh, shit. So, yeah. So he got into frag films. And then I read another article where he wanted to shoot a film. There was like a 360 projector technology out that he wanted to make something that would be shown in like a 360 theater we need to bring him to the sphere that that didn't really pan <laughs> out so it, i don't know the story i've kind of built in my head is like he believes in this tech 100 percent, but it hasn't really fleshed out because he's chasing people that aren't interested in movies like you're, you're trying to get like smartphone addicted teenagers yeah. to be interested in an art form that they've moved beyond and are interested in a smaller, chopped up right. version of motion pictures. Right. So you're kind of like chasing something that's already gone. Instead of like investing in proper, like traditional cinema, which this stuff that we're talking about today that he did, like he did it through traditional means and was like injecting this sort of like tech bro sensibility into. He's instead like trying to bring movies into tech, which is not going to happen because those kids are not interested in this art form. Yeah. But like Pierce Brosnan in, in Lawnmower Man talks like this. He's like, this is a new electric dimension. <laughs> right. This is where brains are going to go, you know, and we're going to revolutionize how we interact with each other in this like metaverse space. Metaverse, also a dead concept that has not, it, it's gone the way of frag films and Quibi. Like it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just interesting hearing a character who in any other story would be the villain of the piece. And he's really not like he's a believer yeah. in the tech and these sort of outside money men pervert his research. And it's kind of like a Frankenstein story. Like the monster gets out of hand because of these out outside forces. Mm -hmm. Well, to, so you watched Lawnmower Man too, right? Yes. Which is very funny retribution um, on Stephen King's end because oh. it has so little to do with the lawnmower man that like Brett Leonard got his own like perversion of his work. <laughs> well, what, what I just, what I find fascinating about that movie is like that it's only a few years after the original and the tech is totally taken over. Yeah. We all live in the metaverse. Right. It's lawnmower like Brett Leonard. I know he didn't make lawnmower man too, but it's kind of like his brain child, like his warning in lawnmower man seemed to, fruition is like within a couple years he's totally taken over everything and it also stars matt freer who got famous as max headroom which was yeah. another like digital only form from this era so it's some good synergy there but like that movie's missing the brett leonard touch there's nothing interesting about lawnmower <laughs> man too and it's weird how like the the special effects are i guess technically 
better, but it's worse. Less interesting. It's yeah. less yeah. interesting. Yeah. Man, that was a real bomb of a movie. <laughs> Is that the last Lawnmower Man? That's it. There's just yeah. two, huh? Yeah, just two. People Thanks. finally remember the uh, Super Nintendo video game version of Lawnmower Man, which I mean, I never played what? as a kid, but what? it right. makes sense to me that the video game version of the movie would be better remembered than the movie itself because the movie seems to be more interested in video game yeah. as an art form versus cinema. And maybe yeah. he is too. I don't know. It seems like he really thought he could transform this like century old art form into something new and exciting um, for the next century. And uh, it did <laughs> not pan really out that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we did get a sliver of his mind, which I think is, I don't know. I think that's what makes all of these films so interesting. Right. It gives them like personality beyond the other like tech films that were being made at this time. And he's fun to think about as an auteur because he put that stamp on all this work. Like he did not actually want to adapt a Stephen King story. Right. So like he knew that Stephen King was a big name that he can um, get a project funded for. And he melded that with his own original script, which, which was called Cyber God. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> which I mean, which would be a much better title for this movie. Like the Lawnmower Man stuff doesn't really need to be in here. I did like the lawnmower part. Right. Of this when movie. he lawnmowered the dude's brain. Mind. So there's two lawnmower that kills. Was, that <laughs> yeah. was badass. One is there's this bully at a gas station that picks on Job all the time. Yes. And he like mentally inserts this digital lawnmower into that guy's brain. That and, like with lobotomizes his mouth, him. That is the best kill of the whole yeah. movie. Just this rotate like his face is on the lawnmower and these like rotating blades uh -huh. and he Sick. just mushes his mind. Yeah, and the other one's like a real lawnmower. Right. Yeah, that he literally like, flies. Um, telepathically commands his lawnmower to fly at this guy's face. Uh, an abusive dad who loves to drink beer and watch WrestleMania, which I took offense to that. Bad WrestleMania, <laughs> bad wrestling fan representation. Yeah. yeah. Also, it did remind me of M Night Shyamalan's The Happening with mm. the the lawnmower oh, kill. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but yeah, like, why, why are you going to shit on wrestling fans? Come on, we're not all <laughs> we're beer swilling abusers. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I only half recognize that in my own life. Yeah. <laughs> this was my favorite lawnmower movie mm. that I've lawnmower ever watched. Movie? Just like movies that have like lawnmower stuff in it. I think this I mean, is it. got to be at the top. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I think this and like maybe The Man on the Moon with Reese Witherspoon would be like a second good lawnmower oh. movie. <laughs> I literally put no thought into the subject. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've been Brett Leonard pilled. I like didn't think about this as like a lawn care film. I went to like the most like <laughs> manual piece of technology in this movie. Right, and right. I'm like, like, it's the lawnmower. Bringing it back down to essentials. <laughs> His lawnmower is really fancy. It's in beautiful. Here, he, I know. he pays a lot of attention to it. And I do like, <laughs> I want to go back to Pierce Brosnan's performance because he really was committing. And then uh, me and James and Brandon watched this interview. It was a like a promo set. It was an electronic press kit. Yeah. Which, of course, you would put one of those right. out. And, and Pierce Brosnan <laughs> is talking about his role in this film and he's taking it so seriously. And it's he's like... It's it's really a love story when you think about it, you know, the, <laughs> you know, like the, the the relationship between the doctor and you know the doctor really wants this to happen. You know, he's like talking about it, like he's put so much thought into this role, and it's like I <laughs> really love this level of cheese combined with like pure commitment from the actors. And, that, and I think that's a recurring that thing. Yes, and Jeff Goldblum and Hideaway. Yeah. yeah. 
Pierce Brosnan <sighs> and Jeff Fahey in Lawnmower Man. Mm-hmm. And then the movie we'll talk about next. Mm-hmm. It, you got to like have that earnest yeah. delivery and believe in this stuff and take it seriously. Believe. And that actor in the next movie is Denzel Washington. Who's, <laughs> you know, if you're going to hire someone to like fully commit themselves to a role, like this guy takes it very seriously. <laughs> he did it. Uh, this movie's called Virtuosity from 1995. And his co-star, Russell Crowe, also throws himself in the role. <laughs> But he is playing a digital character and kind of a Bugs Bunny style trickster. Sid 6.7. He's, yeah, an amalgamation of all the worst serial killers. Yes. And he escapes from virtual reality into a futuristic Los Angeles uh, where he has to be hunted down by a real flesh and blood cop played by Denzel Washington. And watching all these movies, I was thinking to myself, is it? possible to be a fan of a director without loving any of his particular movies like yeah. hideaway and lawnmower man had a lot of things i admired and thought were interesting but i was like i'm not gonna go over the moon for any brett leonard films like he's not like a well-accomplished director he's just like an interesting thinker and then i watched virtuosity <laughs> and i fucking loved it i thought it was an absolutely perfect big budget cyber thriller from the 90s and this is a industry that is exploiting the tech. This is this is tech exploitation in that they know that virtual reality is hot right now, partially because of the hit success of The Lawnmower Man, <laughs> which is probably how Brett Leonard got the job. But watching Denzel Washington give this like genuinely like Oscar-worthy performance as this like yeah. cop who is wounded by a serial killer whose mind has been mixed with Charles Manson and John Wayne Gacy and Adolf Hitler and like all the great killers of history. But this guy's the most evil and the most dominant and seeing the cop who brought him down brings that killer to the forefront. Watching the two of them spar back and forth or one is like very serious. And the other is basically Bugs Bunny with a gun and just loves attention and loves being alive for the first time and like out in the world. And like that meld of pretty generic 90s super cop stuff with 90s super prison serial killers Mm -hmm. and like 90s tech i thought was just a great time capsule of what blockbuster filmmaking was at that time and there are a lot of like genuinely innovative scenes that you will not find in any other film Uh, there's a a particularly awe-inspiring sequence where russell crowe takes over a nightclub um, when he walks in, Tracy Lords is performing as like this, you know, hip dominatrix DJ. And he like shoots up the place. Everyone's terrified. He's holding everyone hostage with a gun. And he starts playing with the crowd as if they are a musical instrument. And he starts sampling their screams and terror from this DJ station and uh, plays an orchestra of terror as he's taking these people hostage and it's like genuinely fun and innovative. And he like works the room and he hams it up. And I was just like astonished. I I thought this movie was very beautifully rendered trash. It is the best Brett Leonard movie in that it is the least Brett Leonard movie. It's like (laughs) taking his ideas and sort of smoothing them out into a more recognizable mainstream thriller template. And I, th- I think Denzel Washington in particular, like 
as a stipulation for signing up for this project was like, <laughs> no, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to be in this movie, I need this to happen and kind of smoothed it out into a more standard action blockbuster. But there's enough Brett Leonard thoughts and ideas and visual work, especially at the two bookends, kind of like in hideaway. Like it right. starts with a sequence that's completely submerged in the video game realm that Sid 6.7 breaks out of. It starts as a police simulator where, Denzel Washington is in the virtual world. He's on Sid's turf and he has to find the serial killer among all the NPCs. And that sequence is so reminiscent of the matrix, which came a few years later and has real legitimate video game logic, like watching people eat or repeat actions um, just felt like it actually understood how video games work in a way that few movies from that time would. So like that's Brett Leonard one Oh one right there. And then towards the end, the video game logic comes back. We're like, it kind of smooths out into a normal thriller as it goes along. But at the end, to outsmart Sid 6.7, Denzel Washington's character has to return to the video game realm and has these like resettable scenarios where he can like best him by trying different strategies to take down the big boss um, over and over again. And yeah, by the end of this, I was just astonished. I was like, wow, this is actually like a fantastic film. And then going after the end credits online to read people's thoughts, you would think this is something that has been reclaimed as like something fun and like a good precursor mm-hmm. to the matrix and like a good timestamp of where it is. Like a lot of movies like this have been reclaimed as something that was good actually. And no, I'm alone <laughs> on this Island. Like I think this movie's fucking perfect. And a lot of the people I follow who like genre stuff in this template just find nothing of value here or, Maybe like the two central performances, but they think the rest is bunk. That's kind of strange to me because I, I feel like like Johnny Mnemonic, which came out around the same time, is pretty highly regarded. And it's getting a victory lap right now because they re-released yeah. it in black oh, and, and it's white. On Criterion. Yeah. Yeah. But I put these in the same wheelhouse. Like I liked this movie when it first came out when I was a kid. And watching it again, I felt like a little kid enjoying it for the first time. Like I think it's a very good. I personally like hideaway a little bit more just for its Leonard isms, like really bombastic, but this is like an actually like good mainstream action flick with the Leonard stuff to kind of give it a little color. Honestly, I think it's the genre that holds it back because sci-fi and horror have like dedicated fans that will go see anything in those genres and like have entire conventions where they all meet up and gush about these like forgotten gems that have been like discarded to time and like oh yeah most people have rejected that but we love it you know and i don't think action has that same fandom to it yeah even like trying to convince people to come see jawan with me (laughs) this week was like a struggle and like I i think action has a deficit when it comes to that kind of fandom yeah and i think I, I really liked this film. I think that one thing that kept there's one small detail that kept me from really loving it. And that's like once it gets into the kind of cat and mouse of Denzel Washington and the essentially he's fighting the person that killed his family. And that is the antagonist who is also like super powerful. And I th- like that being the central relationship 
was less interesting to me. Like, and I think that is an action, like you have your arch rival, basically, that you are up against and they've done something to you in the past. Like, I think it, I would have liked it more if they had really like honed in on this kind of anonymous super creature who is super creative and super evil rather than like, I'm the guy that killed your family. Like that, that relationship just wasn't as interesting to me. And that's what happens in the lawnmower man is, you know, once he goes a little too far in his transformation, he becomes like a God who can, you know, manipulate reality. Yeah. And Sid 6.7 does not do that. It it becomes, he becomes a pretty standard, like escape serial killer. Yeah. And I think that like, all of the sci-fi stuff, like the first half an hour is so enticing to me. Like I love the world building, even when it doesn't make sense. Like I, I love all of the ideas and I love all of the Sid stuff when it's not related to him, like being connected to the specific serial killer. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm surprised that it's not more popular. I thought it was super fun. And like, Russell Crowe is just totally hamming it up. Yeah. Who would have thought Russell Crowe would have done something like this? Right. <laughs> Walking in that purple suit. You can see every muscle in his back and buttocks if you like want to get a good look at Russell Crowe. Is it? You know, for the crow freaks out there. Uh, I mean, I will <laughs> say like, crow heads. obviously Denzel Washington is a great actor, but to mm-hmm. see him in something this trashy and to like <laughs> bring his like Oscar worthy performance yeah. to something, like, I think that's like what, makes this movie work good for, for me yeah can i say this is like the kind of movie that breaks my brain when other people talk about it we're like there's a major podcast called the big picture that's like one of the more popular movie podcasts in the genre right so on our more level popular than us no. <laughs> <laughs> by a tad yeah. <laughs> uh they get like listens in an hour that we get in a year yeah like <laughs> shit. so they did a denzel washington episode this past week and I listened to it because, you know, it was on topic what, what we were already watching. And this movie came up and they were like, you know, it's a really good performance for a bad movie. And the movie's really exciting for a bad movie. And I enjoyed watching every minute of it for a bad movie. And et cetera, et cetera. They keep like qualifying how m- much entertainment they got out of it. Right. How much the performances were really good and how like it's it's a fun time capsule of the era and i'm like what makes it a bad movie then right i you know i have to like throw myself under the bus like that's sort of how i feel with hideaway we're like okay it's a bad movie but like i had a blast with it right and like i loved the like climax and i love you know it's a bad movie like by other people's standards and like by like big critic standards so i think like i get stuck in that Sometimes where I'm like, this was a horrible movie and I loved every second of it. Right. And it's like, well, then why is it a bad movie? Why is it a horrible yeah, movie? Right. It's like, I recognize that other people yeah. think this is a bad movie. So I want them to know that I'm not like an idiot. And of course, I think it's a bad movie too, but I loved it. Like you're, you're trying to hold your credibility yeah. when you should be like, this was a great movie or like these parts were weak but like with hideaway like it has pacing issues it is like very formulaic in the middle but the beginning and the end are so bombastic that it earns respect you know you're trying to qualify like not 
saying it's a bad movie, but right. it's not a perfect movie. Yeah, but saying like it had pacing issues and it had these like that is being specific about the weaknesses of the film, not like it's bad. I, but I do think virtuosity is the best as far as structure and pacing yes. and it's like, like the mainstream. cleanest in a way. It's the cleanest Brett Leonard. I guess film that's what I'm bunch. getting at is like, why is this one bad? Because yeah, it's it so rooted in its time and like people are embarrassed by its like earnest depiction of the tech. Is that why? Because there's nothing really wrong with it on a... Okay, normally when people talk about bad movies, I'm already up in arms about this because like what they really mean is underfunded outsider art. Yeah. Like that's a bad movie because of these like technical problems or right. it was made outside the mainstream. So it has these issues at the corner. Like, okay... I love rubber suit monster movies. I love the like Roger Corman exploitation style filmmaking. If you want to call all that bad outright, I can't help you. But like <laughs> in this one, like this is made on a major studio budget. All of the like sort of weirdness about Hideaway is kind of smoothed out. Yep. It's like a pretty standard action blockbuster of its time, except yeah. it has a very specific mid 90s tech hook. Which to me elevates it above the other movies like it in it, its era. It looks cool. It's got a cool soundtrack it's got good actors it is a good movie i will be tossing on my deathbed you know (laughs) wondering what the deal about virtuosity is like what what is it that like clicks on in my brain where i'm like this is mainstream blockbuster filmmaking at its best to me versus like what other people don't see in it i don't know i really struggle with that i mean to me it's like Kind of like a minority report or like any sort of mainstream, yeah, big budget film that has good actors and good sets and works. Yeah, you know, it it was a fun ride. Yeah. I think like this and Hideaway are kind of even for me because I like Brett Leonard's audacity in Hideaway, but I think that this film is be- is better crafted. Like I I feel like I would have loved this film if it had dialed up the sci-fi tech stuff and dialed away from the action film. But that doesn't mean it would have been a better movie. It just would have been more to my taste. I'm just thinking of all the like touches of this that are then reworked in The Matrix yeah. a few years later, oh, totally. which are which is considered like one of the great movies of its era. And honestly, sure, like fine. I like the movie a lot too, but it mm-hmm. is recycled parts from a bunch of different stuff. And I feel like this gets excluded from that conversation a little bit. Yeah. And like the early stretch of this that are like, that's within the virtual reality simulator. It's basically like inventing that visual language. And I do think there are enough weird parts like Russell Crowe strangling Denzel Washington as they pull him out of the video game. And he like gets de-rendered in the CG and it turns Mm -hmm. into that mid nineties graphics. Like there are parts of this that touch on the, 90 specific weirdness of hideaway yeah it's just not fully committed in the way hideaway is where like it fully submerges you in it yeah um and like hideaway and lawnmower man i liked a lot but i felt like i was putting up with a lot of bullshit yeah. to get to the stuff that I is, that is <laughs> yeah, definitely right. true <laughs> and this one i didn't have to put up with any bullshit like it was like serving yeah. that to me in like a very well considered i think yeah. lawnmower man especially meal. for me i was like definitely putting up with some bullshit but the highs are very high I would have loved Lawnmower Man if it was just about chimps. Like that first stretch, and maybe this is where I will recommend the director's cut, like <laughs> spending more time with the chimp. Right. I was when like, I would much that. rather do this than the Jeff Fahey learning yeah. intelligence yeah. Uh, section of that film. And, you know, 
comparing this to The Matrix, this movie has a really great sense of fun. To like yeah. Russell Crowe is having a blast, just like waltzing around. I can't, I can't remember what song it is that plays when he's got the purple suit on. Oh, it is the um, it's a cut to him strutting as a parody of Saturday Night Fever. So it's the yeah. Bee Gees song from that. Yeah. Uh, stay, not staying alive, but it is staying alive. Oh, staying alive. Oh, staying yeah, alive. Yeah. Okay. You can yeah. tell. It's, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's just like it, it's just you got some tech stuff that doesn't make any like nanobots crystallizing over the you know like AI core. Uh, you have it, it's just it's fun. It's just a whole lot of fun. A lot of fun watching him just be a villain. Yeah. Like that whole MMA fight scene was so fucking. Oh, cool. I like fun. Oh, that yeah. scene was really good. It's a good one. Uh, and I will say the nightclub scene, which I really do feel like is a standout. That sequence. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's filming himself with these heat sensor cameras. So like mm-hmm. a lot of what he's looking at is a sort of predator cam version of yeah. himself on the wall. Um, and there's another director recently that has said that he wants to move beyond cinema and he's like bored with cinema, which is Harmony Corinne has a new movie called Agro Drift that mm-hmm. he made entirely in that color palette. So I don't know. I feel uh, like Brett Leonard's like a little ahead of its time there too. Yeah. Like he knew to give you a small touch of that, not an entire feature film <laughs> in that, you know, range. But. Yeah. Also, one of the like kind of sci-fi ideas that I was really interested in was his obsession with attention, which is like you know related to his sociopathic psychopathic personalities but i think also reflects something real about like how algorithms work now and how like like there are a couple of lines referring to like him being the evil within people and like i just thought of how like youtube you can go into these like radicalized rabbit holes and how like, you know, violent content and sexual content just naturally gets attention and kind of festers and how machines learn bad behavior from us. I don't know. I feel like that was kind of like floating on the top of this. And that is interesting and relevant. Yeah. You me. watch one VC Andrews movie on Tubi. <laughs> Just keeps feeding you more and more. <laughs> Before you know it, you've watched 12 weeks time. I think he reached his limit with virtuosity where like he built up to this level in Hollywood where mm-hmm. he made like a real movie. Yeah. <laughs> he like built up to like a pretty standard thriller. And like, I think Hollywood had enough of him at this point. Yeah. <laughs> between this and Hideaway. Um, so he moved beyond cinema and started getting into these like tech displays where he's like, okay, I'm done with the movies. That that industry has rejected me. How can I put tech forward projects out there where I'm still playing with the motion image? And for a while it was IMAX. IMAX was his next step, yes. Which we did not watch the dinosaur movie, but we found maybe even a more interesting uh, version of his IMAX filmmaking style. Indeed. Um, so <laughs> yeah, right back to the field trip, you know? Um, field trip style movies of a nine-year-old. Holy shit. <laughs> so yeah, we're talking about Siegfried and Roy, the magic box. I had no idea this existed. We learned about it while what we were watching hell? a wrestling pay-per-view. We, we really? stopped a wrestling pay-per-view yeah. to watch the full thing because it was just <laughs> so oh enthralling. God. Like, <laughs> So this came out in 1999 and it, it essentially is the story, the children's book story version of Siegfried and Roy narrated by Anthony Hopkins 
what's so like insane to me is like not even like five years after this movie was made, like Siegfried and Roy were finished because there was that like infamous tiger attack. And there's a lot of their sort of loose um, training of the animals and their like very relaxed relationship with them. Yeah, the writing was on the wall. Yeah. 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 Like, well, the thing is, there's a lot of con like conspiracy behind like what actually happened where there is a belief i don't have any factual evidence to back it up but um so roy was the one that got attacked by the tiger on stage and this was like their five thousandth show with the same tiger yeah like they they did this they've done this i think they did over like thirty thousand shows in las vegas so you would think they'd be like experts so it was kind of weird like why did this happen so apparently Roy was having a stroke and the tiger was trying to help him because when that tiger was born, he, the tiger was born not breathing and Roy resuscitated him back to life with mouth to mouth. So people mm. think what? that the tiger sensed because they're like telepathically close that he was having a stroke and was trying to drag him to safety. But like his power as a tiger was doing right. it. <laughs> teeth were too strong his yeah too, his teeth were too big the version i read was that he was riffing <laughs> and went okay. off script and the tiger did not like that and reacted like an animal <laughs> right Brandon, well one of those is believable <laughs> say, so you know who knows and and in this documentary version of their life story <laughs> their very first magic duo performances on a cruise ship and Chico. they were like, and we got fired from that job because we let the lion loose in the, the audience. <laughs> and the captain couldn't the, handle our, the like, just goes renegade ways. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to me, it's like, yeah, you should have been fired and your career should have ended. That's so dangerous. and un- <laughs> it's cr- So, right. So, they've been doing this dangerous shit for, like, so long. But, yeah. So, this movie kind of s- serves as, like, this, I don't know, the last magic of Siegfried and Roy before like this event happens they go away and then actually Roy didn't die from that a lot of people think he died from that he died from COVID um, in 2000 and then Siegfried died in 2021 from cancer so yeah so just of who Siegfried and Roy are before we get started talking about this like fantastic film (laughs) is they are a duo where there's a magician they they both kind of come across as two magicians but roy is more of the big cat handler and trainer while siegfried does a lot more of like or he leads like the magic component but these two gentlemen it's like if liberace was a set of twins and was doing a magic show it is like the most fantastic flamboyant shit ever Roy's got a cod piece at okay. all times. That's what I was going to ask. Which one had the cod piece? It's Roy. Hanna was really into the cod piece. <laughs> what? It was gigantic. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> and they were a couple too. They just didn't talk about their personal life a lot. So it's kind of interesting to think about their sex life. And were the lions in the bedroom with them? And were they? Absolutely. So they had like, I, th- I want to say they had like 50 big cats and they stayed in this place in Vegas called like the Secret Garden. Which we get a little bit of a glimpse which of. Which is closed now. Yeah, right. So this movie is wild. Like it's at first I was like, okay, this is going to be like a documentary. And it it is. It's like a one paragraph Wikipedia documentary. Yeah. It's, In, it's more like a it's kayfabe. Yeah, I was going to say right. it's building the mythology. Yeah. 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 It's like a a documentary 
myth building communicated through a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the focus to me was more like the story came through kind of, but I was just interested in all the fever dream imagery. Yeah. Um, like the freaking Zoltan or Zoltar that yeah. was just throwing cards in the air that would pop into <laughs> different cool. shit. Ooh. Oh my God. Brett Leonard did not need to insert himself in this story at all. Like it could have just been about the magic show and like their life story. But like every scene has Brett Leonard bullshit all over it. Like so much 90s CGI all over this movie. Oh, yeah. You know, I was yeah. saying, I was like, man, is it kind of sad that his career went the way of the IMAX. I think he's film. happier than a pig. Yeah. Shit in this. <laughs> right. No, and that's what I came to. Like, when I was first watching, I was His like, man, it's sad. Like, he wanted to make, like, serious movies, and now he's having to do IMAX, Siegfried, and Roy, but his style is perfect for this and mm-hmm. for the T Rex IMAX movie. Like, yeah. It's just such a beautiful fit. The fact, yeah, like, the images speak louder than the actual story itself. So it, sh- it shows how, like, powerful what he did was in this. And he doesn't have to justify it, like yeah. in Virtuosity and in Lawnmower Man. Like, it's got to be an actual movie, right? Well, there's like a plot, and you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like we have to go into the virtual realm, and like once you get in there, then he can do whatever he wants. But this, it's like the whole world's magic, baby. So like, it's all this like <laughs> oh, <right>. CGI <laughs> pop up book style where like things sort of unfold, and there's these flat surfaces. Yeah, and he fills every corner of the frame he can with his bullshit, yeah. and it progressively gets more Brett Leonard towards when the Vegas shit comes. Yeah, like you could tell he went a little crazier, but like in the beginning, that storytelling of like you know just two little German boys, and then the magic box in the window, and a mean lady with the magic box. Okay, which is identical to the lament configuration from the hellraiser series like it is the yes. hellraiser puzzle box <laughs> and that's oh my where God. their magic power comes Sacred from Roy. but that whole style in the beginning i'm like there's something that this is reminding me of and it's not brett leonard um it reminded me of like the you know the cruise ship that the old world images and shit felt i don't know why but the evil within a little bit oh yeah like if that like it had some weird cg had sex stuff with in hugo it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> here you go i got some wizard of oz stuff too in the germany okay. sections in the beginning yeah. yeah especially when i believe it's roy's trusted dog saves him from quicksand uh in a lassie segment which it is roy i mean who knows if that's real or kayfabe or whatever but like he has this magical link with animals that want to keep him alive and not kill him as history would. And then what, think. Uh, what happened? But um, in that cornfield where he falls into quicksand, <laughs> you know, in the Wizard of Oz, there's this painted sky backdrop uh-huh. that you just kind of accept as reality. Like you stop thinking about it yeah. being the soundstage after a minute. And here, Brett Leonard does the same thing where like he could have created a whole CGI sky in the background and like just had that be the world. But instead, he corners it off, and there's these flat panels mm-hmm. where you can see the scenes yeah. where the walls meet the ceiling that's artificially inserted into that world. And then he projects a sky onto it. And it's like, what are you doing? I don't know. It's just like a weird little it was cool. he's just like playing with the image as much as yeah. he can. Inside the box. This also, like, and I've never been to Vegas. I know that y'all went to Vegas. Um, but this also, to me, like, captures, like, how big the magic of vegas like seemed to have been like i feel like now like Siegfried and roy like there will never ever ever be a show like that that will happen again like a it was like very unethical and then b like that just doesn't seem like the direction that people are going towards like people are going to vegas to see like adele 
not necessarily like this big like overproduced right that's like old magic vegas show. right magic. it's like old vegas and the way they put it forward they were the ones who invented that i think that's probably complete bullshit but there's like <laughs> claim in this where it's like for the first time in the history of magic it's when magic was the entire show and like they invented the format of a vegas magic show i, I don't know i don't, know. I, Maybe I don't think that's a glitzy base. glam one well Okay, so like before them, I guess it was more of a vaudeville style review yeah. where they'd be like a showgirl segment, a little right. bit of magic, right. a body stand up. What do you think about like the big operatic with the line, you know, the tight? Yeah. That's like, I think that is them. It's just a, a claim that. that's impossible to substantiate. How do you know that in the history of magic, there's never been a magic show before them that's like just magic? I mean, I I don't know. I think I don't you know could either. do some re- I, I, mean, think I think you do there, some research. And- maybe. Yeah, I think there have been. I mean, maybe they established that in Vegas, but I mean, th- there have been other like meet the fantastic like Moreau or whoever. But specifically Vegas, like yeah. their yeah. Vegas yeah. I mean, energy. Yeah, that's probably easy to substantiate. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like that's just what I mean. Thinking about like those massive productions, like now what is like David Blaine and Chris Angel, maybe like. It's not like this, you but that know, doesn't over feel the top. like old Vegas in right. the way that they do. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of like the end of an era, um, the end of their show. But we still got Wayne Newton, apparently. And the end of Brett Leonard's <laughs> career for <laughs> the most dies, part. It'll be over. <laughs> it's not the end. He's just transcended like Job. He's like gone into a different electric <laughs> realm. I am in the telephone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's just talk briefly about after this, like, where did Brett Leonard go? He directed he? Feed, which oh, is yeah. fucking a disgusting a movie. bad torture What's porn feed? movie. Oh. It's a it's a, like a force-feeding, softcore kind of horror movie. So, oh. like, this guy kidnaps women and then force-feeds them so, until they're bedridden because they're so obese. Oh, yeah. oh that's a... Real fetish. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The movie's really gross. Yeah, it's like that torture porn era in the 2000s. Wow. And doesn't have the Brett Leonard oh, like touch. And it doesn't days. have the Brett. So the Brett, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like what the I'm Brett Leonard about. touch is gone after these IMAX movies. Because, yeah. yeah, he did his feed. He did some movie a couple years ago called Triumph about a guy with cerebral palsy that wrestles and stars Terrence Howard and it's like a feel good sports movie. What? Where's the tech? Where's the tech? Like something happened, you know, we talked about those, the frag films. That's where I think it's hard is. Yeah. Yeah. Trying new formats. But obviously that didn't really catch on. And so he's been sort of forced to do stuff that's not. Pay the bills. Yeah. And it's like kind of a bummer because I wish that he could, uh, do what his heart desires. Would but. you like a new Brett Leonard movie that actually like dives into the tech of now? Yes. In what way? Like, how is that different than like the Avengers or something where it, like every character on the screen is CGI? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think he has a particular sensibility. I was thinking about it with like Richard Stanley, how okay. he like had a resurgence with, um, was it the Nicholas color out oh, of space yeah. and has since been hashtag canceled for, Sexual inappropriateness, but yeah, apparently. But I'm saying, like, I could see a revival like that where he could come out with a lawnmower man esque movie in 2023. And I don't know, I I feel like there could be a reiteration of it. I think what he was pushing for in the 90s has since become the norm. And like, the movies people actually go to see in theaters right now are CGI shit fests that are just like just ones and zeros the entire time. So, like, He's already won Job's War, you know? 
uh, to cite <laughs> Lawnmower Man 2. Like, the stuff he was pushing for has become the norm and has been smoothed out to the point where it's boring now. Right, you have VR headsets already. Right. Yeah. But I do, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm interested in his visual aesthetic. And I could see him making a movie that revolved around the imagery that's in, like, the end of Annihilation, for instance. Yeah. Like, those, like, kind of weird psychospheres taking over a feature film would be very interesting. I mean, it, it wouldn't be as, like, revolu- not that it was revolutionary when he was making it, but it we have, like, a ground understanding of that kind of um those kind of visuals but i would still be interested and there there are industries that do interesting stuff with it still like i would go back to the south indian action movies like we really liked the cgi animal stuff in rrr last year uh which feels very unreal in a way that brett leonard movies do and i would say a lot of chinese productions like the new stephen chow movies have that same sort of like unreality to the cgi well, it's I not guess, trying to look like tactile. But I guess right. that's what reality. I mean. Like if he didn't try to do modern CGI, if he just did that like 90s. Like go back to 95. Just keep that aesthetic. <laughs> uh, I think that could be interesting. Because I yeah. think in like we were talking about with Vaporwave, like it has a cool quality to my modern, you know, modern aesthetics that like I think young people would find like kind of fun. You know what I mean? Like I, I think, think there is this a- Siegfried and Roy movie in particular. If you played this at like a midnight rowdy screening, people drinking alcohol, it, it would go over like gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just Anthony Hopkins reading weird esoteric yep. poetry about these of, two German men. That's, that's bunch it. Of, yeah, gears in the sky. Yeah, that sort of like <laughs> clockwork gears and right. the picture book foldouts and just like absolute nonsense. Like the movie. <laughs> Really does not need to go hard on the CGI stuff. And if you watch the trailer for it, it is just Siegfried and Roy doing their mm-hmm. stage show. And there's maybe a couple images of the tiger jumping through the hoop. Yeah. Which, honestly, a lot of mixed metaphors here. Like, there's a magic box. Right. But there's also a pyramid. And there's the circle of life or whatever. Like, I mean, that's just geometry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but the, Pick a shape. Like, the style of this reminded me so much of that. Like, And it's still very nostalgic. But I think it was on the Discovery Channel. Where you would like dive into like underwater stuff or yeah. you know dinosaurs like dun 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 you know yeah yeah and it would like you would be going through this maze where it felt like you were in a screensaver on your like old computer yeah exactly like that's what this reminded me of and I'm like ah there's something in that right people love I have the same sort of frustration with this and virtuosity where it's like. This is the kind of movie that I would rate like four stars or whatever if I was reviewing it because I had a great time watching it. I think it is an artist pushing their art to its furthest extremes. I think this is like maybe out of all the movies we watched, the most Brett Leonard movie because there's a pretty strict template of what he's supposed to do for the job. Mm -hmm. And he still just injects his own personality into it where it's not needed or wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. He doesn't have to worry about plot or any. It's just pure Brett Leonard. The theme is magic. And he's like, you know, it's magic to me. Ones and zeros. And yeah, I thought, I think this is a great Brett Leonard film. Yeah. It's a good time. Uh, I imagine most people watching it are like, it's like an ironic enjoyment at best, maybe. Like, I'm laughing at it. But I don't know. The whole time I was watching it, I was enthralled. The whole time, I'm like, I want to see this in a fucking IMAX theater. I, of course. Yeah. I enjoyed all these movies to, uh, you know, varying degrees. Yeah, all but were like, good. This, uh, this was a fun episode. Yeah. 
do you think if he was like a dominant force in Hollywood, and I'm thinking specifically now of Robert Zemeckis, who I absolutely hate, <laughs> but mm-hmm. has done this same tech first cinema second style of filmmaking in the past. But like Robert Zemeckis was pushing tech that has since become the norm. So like he did Polar Express, which looked fucking weird at the time. Ugh. But like now all children's movies have that like eerie CGI to it. Or um, Back to the Future was like special effects forward in a way that like the industry has sort of leaned into that as like that style of action comedy is the only kind of comedies that make money now. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a lot harder to champion Robert Zemeckis because he is the dominant force and he like foretold like where the industry was going or like Brett Leonard was a different kind of visionary and like put forth a different style of tech that did not take over and like his 90 specific graphics are just like gone by the way of the dinosaur now mm-hmm. uh, quite literally in yeah. his own filmography and like if he had won the battle and like became what movies are if like if the avengers looked like lawnmower man would i like it as much is it only charming because he failed hmm. you know i think the thing that i don't like about the robert zemeckis like the specifically polar express is that it is kind of bland. And yeah. it's bland except for the the eyes of the children are horrifying. Right. You know. <laughs> and the thing that is interesting to me about Brett Leonard's style is that it's like it has a lot of character. Like it's visually interesting. It's a world that I would want to go into if I had a VR helmet. And I think like the direction that CGI has gone in in my opinion, is like we're trying to replicate reality and that's the least interesting thing that you can do yeah. with it. That's why RRR is fun because they do things that like you can't practically achieve yeah. with the tech. It's like actually leading into what it's good for instead yeah. of trying to make it look normal. Every modern movie that I see that is like as visually creative and experimental as the Brett Leonard style is like, like I love that right. shit. Like I wish that it had gone in that direction. But I, I don't know, to answer your question, I was just having to think about it. Like, I think he holds a special place in my heart because it is kind of a failure. He's an underdog. He's an under, yeah. And like watching him in interviews, he seems so earnest about what he's doing that I kind of respect that like he really gave it his all and it didn't quite work out. And he's had to make some like shitty movies to pay the bills. But like, I don't know, I respect that he kind of was a visionary for his time and it just didn't quite pan out. And I will say we were very selective on this episode. Like normally we'll toss out a subject and we're all Mm -hmm. like reach out and do our own research and like pick one that we like really care about. In this case, it was like, what are the few times Brett Leonard got to do Brett (laughs) Leonard, you know? And we basically assigned each other tasks because (laughs) there weren't that many to go around. I I feel like these four are the central like Brett Leonard texts. Um, And, (laughs) Siegfried and Roy, the magic box is like just as formidable as, you know, (laughs) Virtuosity and the Lawnmower Man in the canon. Well, next episode on the podcast, we're going to talk about Criterion Channel. That might make it sound like uh, we're back to like proper autourism, but uh, they just uploaded their high school horror stuff. Oh my God. Uh, Yes. Ali selected Massacre at Central High. I just watched that the other day. Am I in for a treat? Yes. Okay, good. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's going to throw you some curveballs. Okay, good. 
This is like a 70s slasher from what I could tell, right? Very cool. Yeah, it is, but it goes off the rails in ways that you would not expect. Now I'm expecting virtual reality. Oh, well, maybe not in the Brett Leonard way. Mm-hmm.